1: Welcome to episode 648 with my return guest, Chris Gethard. I am Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. And if you're new, this is a place for honesty about all the bullshit in our head, our heart, our groin, our feet. The show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I am not a therapist. I am a former TV host slash stand-up comedian. But a consistent nut job since probably the age of six or seven. I got the home movies to prove it. Um, thank you to those of you who uh, have signed up recently for, for Patreon. Really appreciate it. Uh, as I mentioned in this uh, interview with Chris, going through a uh, little bit of a uh, tough time financially. Um, I don't want to get into too many too many details right now, but uh, would love anybody to come join us on Patreon. You get to see that video of me dancing like a jackass, as promised last week. I mean, how do you how do you resist <laughs> how do you resist that? Um, something I want to share on patreon but i'm it's so childish i i how do where do i begin i love the staple singers they to me are the best gospel group ever and mavis staples one of the best singers ever but i have been really loving the stuff with pops Staples. And so I've just been listening to their stuff over and over and over again. And as some of you know, I like to make music. And I was like, God, I would love to uh, be able to put some, I don't know, little gospel choir flourishes and some stuff just to see what it sounds like. And uh, and so I looked and I found a gospel backup singer uh, sound sample library and downloaded it. And it's amazing. And one of the things you can do, I'm such a jackass. One of the things that you can do is you can have it form words. So you can write out a text and it's kind of hit or miss whether or not it actually sounds right. And I was up until almost four in the morning last night (laughs) making the choir say dirty things. I probably spent three hours perfecting it, saying, singing, suck my dick. <laughs> Did I stop there? I'm old enough to be some somebody's great-grandfather. <laughs> I didn't stop it at singing, suck my dick. I had to do, suck my dick, suck, suckity, suck it. <laughs> Maybe I'll post that on Patreon. I... I Of all the shit that I have talked about in my sordid past, that one probably is up there with giving me the most anxiety about revealing. But that's why I started this podcast is to talk about the shit that embarrasses us Um this is from the struggle in the sentence survey. This is filled out by CC and CC writes about their alcoholism and drug addiction. It was kind of cute to be a sloppy party girl in your early 20s, but by your 30s, you're just the sad lady at the bar singing awful karaoke that the younger girls try and avoid in the bathroom. Oof. Oof. Thank you. That was a good one. Good Lord. This is from the struggle in a sentence filled out by a non-binary person who uh, refers to themselves as codependent with my cat. Is there anybody that isn't? About their love addiction. Scanning every crowd I'm in for my next partner. Will they be my new savior? About their sex addiction. Maybe if I can make you come harder than anyone ever has, I can finally be worthy of love. About borderline personality disorder. I am broken and only you can fix me. Why won't you fix me? And then a snapshot from their life uh, in parentheses on sex and love addiction. Saturday, covertly surveying my soon-to-be ex-husband's house, driving around until 1 a.m., trying to catch a glimpse of him with the woman I suspect is his new girlfriend. Sunday, going to meet with a couple I met on a lesbian dating app, fucking them all day and night. Coming so many times that I'm in pain. Letting the top of the couple fuck me until I bleed. Monday, feeling exhausted and drained, I cry all morning, psyching myself up for a day of client work. Did I mention I'm a therapist? Thank you for sharing that. Therapists are people too. Therapists are people too, and I sometimes think, you know, as as long as their illness isn't bleeding in and, and crossing boundaries. In sessions, uh, I I sometimes feel like uh, therapists who have personally experienced ups and downs, struggles, uh, can be more insightful than somebody who's only read it in a book. This is from the fear survey filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself Emu. And she writes, I fear that I'm always going to be a fuck up. I've spent my whole life trying to achieve things. I have a PhD, for God's sake, And I realized that one of the reasons I did a PhD was to prove to others and myself that I am not worthless. I feel like I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. No matter how much I achieve, I'm never satisfied. I can never buy into my success. I find it hard to even accept that I have a PhD because it feels like it was something I did to prove that I am allowed to exist. I'm afraid that no matter what, I'll always mess everything up. I cannot tell you how many I have read from people who have PhDs that in a nutshell say the same thing, and I would imagine you could you could say that with you know people in the higher echelons of, of their profession, whether it's academia or business, the, the imposter syndrome. Fuck, man, it is pernicious. Is that the right word? Please let me know if it's not. This is from the Voice in Your Head survey filled out by a guy who calls himself still depressed, dang it. What are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself that I'll never feel better or do better? That this depression is impossible to overcome in this depressing world. Uh, Have you tried watching the news? That can be a real pick-me-up. That this existence is pointless other than to kill a few minutes before returning to listless, lonely depression, even though it's my birthday and I have friends to go visit and shower me with love in a couple of hours. Oh, buddy. I think so many of us have been where, where you are and it fucking sucks. There, there, it is such a lonely feeling being in a room full of people that love you and feeling disconnected because there is, whether it's your brain or your soul or your body, something, just a wall that is not letting the good in, sending you love, man. This is a happy moment filled up by a woman who calls herself fart dust. Can you? Can you dust for, for like, fingerprints? Can you dust for for fart dust? Uh, In her happy moment, she writes, I recently put my bare feet in the grass for the first time in years and immediately felt grounding on a whole new level. I walked around barefoot a lot as a kid and loved it. I could almost feel the energy force coming up through the soles of my feet and filling my body with life. Five out of five would recommend exclamation point. I bet you if you put this on Yelp, there would be people who would shit on walking on the grass. The grass could have been greener, three out of five. I complained to management about the ants, and they did nothing. One out of five. Nobody warned me it was going to rain. I could have done without so many clouds. Two out of five. Walking barefoot on like a the green or the fairway of a golf course is maybe as close to sex as your feet will ever get. So I love that one. And fuck those people on Yelp, on my imaginary Yelp page. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Boogie Monster and about her generalized anxiety disorder. She says... It's like you mistakenly chugged a bottle of poison in the middle of a cornfield and there's no help for miles. About her alcoholism, breaking up with a toxic ex that you can't stop jerking off to. Snapshot from her life, Uh, I just want to share this to see if anyone else can relate. I recently quit smoking and I don't have an urge to even drive and get a pack. At all, because it's causing me a lot of issues. Anxiety causing sleep paralysis terror. Uh, I've been convincing myself every night since I quit, and this is via lucid dreaming, that I have taken all of my meds in a suicide attempt. Then I lay in sleep paralysis, unable to call for help. I lay there for what feels like an entire night, unable to move, yell, or whatever. And the next morning, I have to look to make sure I didn't really do it. Writing this, I'm realizing that tonight I am moving all of my medications from my bedroom because I do not trust myself anymore. I don't want to smoke. I have no urge. But I did read a study that says that nicotine affects dopamine so much that withdrawal can mimic negative symptoms of schizophrenia In the parentheses depression, catatonia, hallucinations. Do I just start smoking again? Because this is hell and I wasn't expecting it. Thank you for sharing that. And that is, uh, I have never heard of this, so I am not going to weigh in on it other than I really encourage you to, to consult a doctor and, um, a doctor other than Dr. Google. And, uh, because th- this, uh, this sounds really fucking serious. And thank you for, uh, you might, sh- uh, also try in addition to contacting a professional, uh, Maybe posting in the, the podcast forum. Uh, our website is mentalpod.com, and there's a forum you can click on, and there's a lot of really great people, a ton of threads, and I would imagine this would be the first thread uh, for that topic. But anybody listening who's thinking, oh, wow, I have that as well, um, maybe they'll go to the forum in the hopes that you post something so you guys can uh, communicate. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive, a must read for anyone in medicine from a doctor turned patient. And then finally, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by CeCe. She writes, one day after coming home from school in the eighth grade, I hopped up on the counter, opened my favorite cabinet door that had all the good snacks in it, and started to go to town on a favorite, Nutella and graham crackers. Oh, that sounds good. My older sister was currently in the hospital for anorexia that almost killed her, and I was just taking a moment to relax before going to take care of all the animals. As I was sitting there enjoying the process of taking a huge spoonful out and slathering it on the crackers, my mom walked in the kitchen and came up to my legs that were kicking happily up and down, and she placed her hand on my knee. When I asked her what's up, she proceeded to tell me, you know, eating disorders can go the opposite way and with judging eyes, looked from my stomach to the thickly spread hazelnut goodness on my cookie cracker crust. While it was taking a moment for me to register what she meant, I could see the judgment, and her eyes meant it's something about my weight, and then I put it all together. With a still kind of confused look, I said, what do you mean? She said, I think we're all eating for your sister. How about if you lose 20 pounds, I'll buy you some new jeans i still give my mom absolute shit about this to this day and not too long ago i was telling the story about how she fat shamed me in the midst of her other daughter's anorexia treatment and i said and she never bought me the jeans to which my mom replied you still haven't lost the 20 pounds my consciousness might be disintegrated heavy-weighted blanket on my brain symptomatically and i can't think straight things present themselves for a reason and i can't see straight i couldn't even drive
0: the first movie that i remember watching with him
1: post-traumatic stress i was
0: like five years old was pulp fiction
1: (laughs) and moral injury i
0: would act out the scenes gonna go to hell with my barbies
1: The greatest source of our suffering... Ordinary is where all the good stuff happens... Is our unwillingness to experience and accept our emotions... It is
0: very hard to heal in dark isolation... I developed compassion... It is in connection and community where that happens...
1: The process was nearly unbearable... Like, I'm gonna have to kill myself... We'll be right back after this... <laughs> I am here uh, again with Chris Gethard, who's a podcaster, and author... Uh, a, a rat contour a telephone enthusiast as your as your website <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, says I'm sure many of you know Chris from his uh, awesome podcast Beautiful Anonymous uh, where you uh, describe Beautiful Anonymous to people it's
0: hugely popular It's yeah I'm very lucky it's a simple show I basically tweet out a phone number at random times and whoever calls me at that time we pick one person we patch them through Um, They don't tell me their name. I'm not allowed to hang up for an hour, and that's how it goes Do you record more episodes than you air because I would imagine you get some clunkers you'd be shocked how? Few times that's happened over seven years. I'm pretty committed to the idea of like even if I find a topic boring Maybe somebody else will be really into it or if somebody wants to call up and make it boring intentionally the promise of the show is you get the platform for the hour. So, we've had a few, we've had we've had a couple that were not aired because they were just clunkers. I mean, we had one that made me laugh so hard we're halfway through the call the woman goes, "I think this is really boring." And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> definitely." She's like, "Yeah, don't air this." I was like, "Cool." We've had a couple um a couple that didn't air because people were clearly suffering. Uh they were under duress. And I mean, you, you certainly understand this feeling of, I'm not ever going to judge that, but I also couldn't in good faith, put it out under the context yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, my show is entertainment. I'm not even really offering advice all that often. It's more just, can I help facilitate and get out of the way and. Sometimes people call up and like, "Oh, I want to talk about this," and it's good. And then they mention some other detail, and I go, "Wait, what about that?" Because that sounds great, and and that's very nice. When sometimes we can stumble into something they didn't plan on yeah. saying, and I'm like, "That, let's focus on that. That's fascinating." Uh, but it's entertainment. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a social worker. Pretty early in the run of my show, my shrink actually listened because the show was blowing up, and mm. I needed her, her to be aware of that because it was. Uh, happy thing but also up upheaval in the life so my shrink needed to be aware and she listened to it and she's like i just have one request she's like do not like people keep asking you for advice you're not a therapist and there's Mm -hmm. training that goes into this and there's ethics and those are real things so she helped me figure out some parameters of how often i should interject my opinions or advice Uh, but we air the large majority of them no Mm -hmm. matter what happens
1: that that, going back to you talking about the you know not being a therapist social worker i I make a disclaimer at the, the beginning of every show because my fear when i started it was that i would um begin to subconsciously think that you know i was a guru so i do give my opinions but i um I think I'm pretty careful in letting it be known that these are just my opinions and reminding people I'm I'm not a professional and it's such a fine line because you you want to reflect someone's story back to them so that they feel seen and you, and you feel that connection which I think is at the core of what makes a good episode um and and you I don't know about you, but I don't want them to feel like I'm not interested yeah, in real. what they're struggling with. Yeah. Um,
0: so it's it's hard. There's also that fine line too of I don't ever want to be a person who says, okay, here's what you're gonna go do, or I need you to commit to this. Right? right? Like that's something that a cognitive behavioral therapist right. would have advice on of like, okay, here's the pattern. Let's figure out the way to break it. Almost, you know, and I, I've done a lot of CBT where it's almost prescribed. You're going to do this to break up the patterns, you know, right. that's a trap to fall into. But there is another side of it, too, where if I go, you know, I've been through something like that and then they go, oh, really? And I go, yeah, my version of it was this. Yes. Yeah. So,
1: you can never go wrong with sharing yeah. your experience.
0: And it's, it's sort of like I've realized I can't be the one to hands on help people in a real way, but they're is that nice feeling of sometimes you can lead the person to water you know right and, I, that, and that's a very very good feeling
1: I, I I agree and one of the things that that I think is helpful and, you know, keeps me behind that line of knowing where I end and somebody else begins and that I'm not a a, a therapist is to just say, ask yourself this, ask yourself that, Yeah. you know, th- yeah. because those are, you know, when I, when I read that you wrote this, my first thought was yeah. this.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of that. And my, my show is very funny because we don't really pre-screen either. That's Uh, shocking to me. Yeah. I mean, it's most of the pre-screen. We have a, I tweet out the number and then a producer talks to people. She asks them, Hey, what do you want to talk about? Gives them a few sentences. The large majority of what she's focused on is the sound quality. Cause we, in the early days we had some people who would call while they were out walking. And then all of a sudden you realize like, oh, there's just an immense amount of wind. This is not doable. Or people who are driving and, you know they don't realize like, Oh, this is long enough. You're going to go through a tunnel and you know, things like that, where like, that's most of what we're going for. And then she just, in a few sentences, a few exchanges kind of just goes, this person sounds like it has potential. They got a good energy, good spark, or like, well, here's a story we haven't heard before, or this one sounds intense, but you know, like the episode we just put out yesterday is was a guy he's really into yo-yos he collects yo-yos he knows everything about the world of yo-yos and different yo-yo people and walked me through which yo-yo people have done routines that changed the game for yo-yoing and we'll get ones like that you know we've also had a call that i'll never forget from a woman who told me she was in in a, a relationship where she felt like the guy was really controlling and manipulative and then he came home halfway through and i just heard her freeze We've had that too, you know? And I never know which direction it's gonna go. Is is this gonna be one where it turns into me going, Well, you're la there's one a lot of people's favorite episode of this one where this guy started laughing on the phone and his he sounded like a goose when he laughed. And I was like, I don't even he, he was telling me what it was like to work in three D animation. I was like I don't care about that. Now I just need to hear this goose laugh, you know? And then I've yeah. also heard from people who have lost children, who have yeah. had children pass away. And for me it's like, oh, I just put on the headphones and I strap in. Let's see what comes down the pike. And it's it can be a bit of a maelstrom kind of tossing me in different directions cuz Do we don't we don't plan it.
1: Do you find yourself ha- having anxiety uh in preparation for, you know, as as you're beginning to record being like, "God, I hope this is a good one or it's
0: It's not. I don't have anxiety going into the recording or during it, there have been a handful of times where I've said to the producers, I'm not in a great place this week. I need a light one. And then they can screen around. You know, if somebody calls Mm -hmm. up and says, I lost my child, we'll say, why don't we take your number and maybe call you back or something along those lines. You know, I can't handle that this week, but, um, patch through a light one where the anxiety comes from is there's two areas I would identify, which is one, there are, There's this weird thing that I have to imagine only I, although maybe that's not true, because there's other people who make stuff and bank it, right? Banking, of course, being the term of like, you have a bunch of things sitting, and you're going to release them over time. There have been some where people have told them to me, and they've been really hard conversations. And the period between when we record it and release it I found that that can mess with my head real bad. Oh
1: my God, me too. Yeah?
0: Yeah. Because I sit here and I go, when it gets released to the world, there's going to be a whole community of people that find it. We have a Facebook group surrounding the show that has about 35,000 people in this Facebook group. And it's a very laid back, basically, the episodes come out, we discuss them, and everybody's pretty chill about it. It's a nice little corner of, of Facebook. And I go, when I release it, Now other people's opinions will come in. Other people might say, I've been through my version of it. Or this part really hit me. Thank you. Or this part made me think differently. And then it almost feels like now there's like a community support aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And it diffuses the weight on my shoulders. And some of this is just in my own head. But it's very real. The other thing that can cause me anxiety is, and some of this relates to Beautiful Anonymous. A lot of this relates... Also, my HBO special that came out years ago is called Career Suicide, and it was all about here's the medications I take, here's the times I've tried to hurt myself, here's how my family reacted, here's how I made some forward progress, here's where I'm at today. It was really Frank and did it off-Broadway in 2016, HBO 2017, and even back then, it, it felt shocking. I don't think it would feel as shocking if you watched it today, and that's because I think people like you and, and a bunch of other people that I point to, you know? Maria Bamford, Gary Goldman, like there's people who have furthered the conversation. It's great, it's beautiful, but what started to happen was between that special and beautiful anonymous. A lot of times when I go on the road and do stand up, someone will come up to me in person and they'll say like, "Oh, I've always wanted to meet you and tell you that you know you got me through this experience." And they tell me an experience that is inherently very dark, and I sit there and I've, I I always feel very torn because in one sense it's indescribably meaningful to me that i've made a few things where people go you're somebody that i need to tell this to Mm -hmm. and i trust you with that and i don't tell it to everybody and maybe i've never told it to anybody but i'll tell it to you but sometimes they don't realize like you know you had this goal to tell this to me and that's a meaningful moment and now for you you've accomplished that goal and you're moving on I don't know anybody in Carbondale, Illinois, and I'm just gonna go back in my hotel room and I'm gonna sit and think all night about some really hard stuff. And that doesn't happen all the time, but it's happened enough times where I go, and I'm sure you've experienced it for yourself as well with this show of, I'm extremely proud of the fact that my career has turned in this direction. I'm, I'm so grateful that I've helped people. I think of me when I was younger, And I've made a lot of things that would have helped me when I was younger that I couldn't find then. And people find them now. And I get so excited about that. But you do also give a piece of yourself away.
1: You do. And and you have to protect your battery.
0: Yeah. I didn't do that well enough for a long time. Yeah. It's
1: it's uh, it's definitely a fine line. I mean, I've I've had to pick up the phone and you know just from an email exchange, you know, occasionally a, a, a phone call with somebody that I've met through the podcast, and had to call my girlfriend and say I just need to cry on yeah. the phone because I just took this story in that is so fucking heavy. Yeah. Um. It's uh. It's hard. It it is it's hard. It it can be, it definitely can be, but I think the overwhelming feeling, and I imagine you would you would agree with this, is a feeling of privilege,
0: extraordinarily lucky that this is the scenario. Yeah. But if I'm out there, especially if I'm out there without an opener, because I'm an introverted guy, mm-hmm. I'm like a boring married dad now. Like, I'm not going to go out and party. I never was a partier, let alone now. Like, if I don't have a buddy on the road with me where we can go and at least eat our meals together, it just means I sit and I think, and that's not always the best place for me. Sitting and thinking about stuff in my own head and dwelling on it is not the best place the for me it to be. The road can
1: be so lonely. Yeah,
0: yeah. Again, another very lucky aspect of my life, the road, but also another aspect of it where it's, it's hard and exhausting and unhealthy in a lot of ways... And, uh, easy, easy to just wind up in some hotel on the side of a highway going, man, someone showed me the scars all over their wrists last night. I mean, this has literally happened to me, you yeah. know, me waking up and going, wow, yeah, that really happened. You know, I remember a uh, great, great comedian, Carmen Christopher. He was a writer on my old TV show. And when we wrapped, he had, he was one of these guys, he's really brilliant, he, but he, he had been like one of the real Brooklyn guy going up and doing characters and bits and stuff, but he was starting to do more traditional stand-up. I was like, why don't you come on the road with me? We'll do a bunch of clubs. So like clubs are hard for me because I do longer stories. For you, it's going to be like trial by fire, but you'll get, you'll figure it out. And he, I knew him. He, he's, he's, he's a workhorse and he wants to conquer every room. And I admire that about him. He was like, yep, I'm in. And the first place we played was a club in the basement of a mall in St. Louis, which you can just tell from that description. Like, this is, uh, this is a tough room at times, you know? Um, Couple hipster guys from Brooklyn, you're gonna have to go on, you have to bring it. And the first thing, and
1: and you were not drawing your crowd, this was just a random crowd, or there were some uh, of your fans? It was
0: a mix, okay. It was a mix. Um, on the nights where it was more full, it meant like there was always a little core group of my fans, and then there were some nights where it was more full, where I'm like, these people got free tickets, and I'm trying to tell Carmen, we're like, these people are here because there's mozzarella sticks, all right and we happen we're competing with mozzarella sticks for attention from half this room tonight you know right. that's the fact they're not they didn't buy tickets for me sure i didn't sell it out there's other rooms in st louis if i went and played maybe like a music venue or one of the more punky neighborhoods i maybe could have done that but that's not the point of this the point right. of this tour is to figure out rooms like this and the very first night I, I was selling some merch afterwards and he was sitting with me and a young woman came up to me and she was like I just need you to know that uh, you've made a few things that, and then she just broke down crying and turned around and physically ran out of the club. And he was like, what the fuck? Like what's going on? And I was like, Oh, like she's a listener. I was like, you're going to get like, it doesn't happen every night, but you're gonna have to get used to it, man. Like sometimes that happens. And what an honor. Like you said, what a privilege Mm -hmm. also. What a strange and difficult thing to just realize. Like, I've made myself a conduit for the human suffering of people who are otherwise sort of quiet about it, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I did a live <laughs> show in, in Minneapolis, which I always love doing. And I, you know, I get to meet the people afterwards and they're such beautiful, beautiful souls. And I was so touched. This, this one guy flew in from the West Coast and, um, and he was, I think he was still a firefighter. He might, he might have, or a park ranger. And I was like, "Wow, that that sounds like a really fun job." He's like, "It's awful. You find dead bodies, it, you know, and, yeah. and on and on." But we had this this really great uh, conversation, and and it felt like, "Wow, I'm I'm doing something that somebody would get on a plane and fly to see me do a live show, and that just." That just blew my mind. I, I don't know. Maybe that's a, I'm, I'm humble bragging, but no, it's,
0: uh, it's a responsibility, and there's a weight to it too. It's also the coolest thing in the world. It's so but cool. There's some weight to it. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you're a dad. You've been yeah. a,
1: a dad now for four years. Yeah. Uh, your kid's name is Cal. Cal.
0: Yeah. yeah. Caleb, but we all call him Cal.
1: Yeah. Um. How has it been being a dad? Having Issues coming into it.
0: Not great. Don't <laughs> talk, talk about great, that. I'll tell you. I uh, I actually wrote a little mini book called Dad on Pills uh, came out last year. I just put out the sequel, Lonely Dad Conversations, which is conversations with friends of mine. I'm not even trying to plug it too hard, but the book I wrote about, you know, for all of my anxieties, um, they were mine. And even getting married, my wife is a fiercely independent person. I never felt like actually responsible for someone else's life. Even in the stretches where I've been making a lot of money and I'm the quote unquote breadwinner, never mentally really bought into that system. And my my wife never turned around and went, why aren't you making, like, that's not how we interact. And if there was ever a time where money was tight, even in the stretch where I was making more, she'd be like, all right, I'll go out and figure it out. Or you can figure, we will figure it out together. So you're a team. Very much so. Very much so. Um, And I'll tell you, like I've made a lot of choices in my life that weren't driven by money. And I'm proud of that. And especially things surrounding my old TV show. For anybody listening who doesn't know, I had this show at the UCB. It was very popular in New York. It ran for a long time. Well, it was two years at the UCB Theater just as a stage show. And then I pitched it around. All these networks wanted meetings because it was catching all this buzz but the show was really strange and wild. And I started to realize like a lot of these people were taking the meeting and they never, there was never a prayer there. They just wanted to feel cool that they were like taking a meeting from some cool hipster show at the time. It feels weird as a 43 year old balding guy. Now it doesn't feel hip at all. There was a stretch where this was the case. And then I eventually realized I got to do it myself. If I want to do it. We did it on public access for a whole bunch of years and then eventually managed to go to cable for a few years. And, and, just right there, I sit there. I go. I've never been somebody who thinks too hard about money. I always thought about creativity first, or integrity first, or whatever you want to think about. And I'm not trying to claim I'm some kind of hero. It's just, it just was the reality. But I'll tell you, having a kid, the financial pressure of that is awful.
1: There's there's a saying, and I don't I don't know who coined it, but the enemy of art is the baby carriage in the hallway. There you go.
0: There you go. That's a smart one. And I had a situation that a lot of people had where, you know, I've always been East Coast based. I've managed to get away with it. I've had a very happy little career that I'm proud of. But most people who do comedy on the East Coast eventually moved to L.A. to either level up or to keep their momentum going. And I not only, I didn't just stay in New York. I moved back to New Jersey, which is a little bit of a momentum killer and a lot of... How far from the city? About an hour drive with no traffic. Pretty far west. Like, we're out in the woods. Farther, there's some towns in New Jersey that, you know, you got a train station right in the middle of town, and you're at Penn Station of 45 minutes. Not me. If I take a train, it's a 15-minute drive to the train station, an hour 10 on the train, and then the subway to wherever I'm gone. It's hours of commuting to get back and forth to the city. I knew what I was doing. I signed up for it. Um, But then, like a lot of people who do what we do... I've always gotten my insurance through the Screen Actors Guild, which is astounding because I don't book all that much acting work, but I always have always hustled and managed to make it happen. Screen Actors Guild, in my opinion, pulled some real harsh bullshit, and they raised the minimum during the pandemic. The minimum meaning... During to, the pandemic. Yeah. You have to earn a certain amount to qualify for health insurance. They raised it a few thousand dollars. And for the first year since I had gotten it, I didn't get it and i had a son who was 1 year old and yikes yeah all of a sudden i realized mine and my wife's and my child's health insurance were going to go away because i decided to be an artist and uh i had a real bad time and i had a incident i mean this was like 3 years ago now i i it was I had that sad thing that people like us have where I was starting to freak out and I realized, oh, I've moved to a new house and I haven't looked up where the good mental hospitals are around here, you know? And I've never actually been admitted to one, which is, you know, I don't even want to say it's a sense of accomplishment. I'm more astounded by it. I'm like, there's right. definitely been a few nights where I think I w- would have been well, where I had a friend sitting up with me all night and if that, if that friend called an ambulance, I would not have even been mad at them, you know? They were like, I can't do it, I can't shoulder this. Like, I would have gotten, like, I, I can point to a handful of nights in my life, and that sad, sort of weirdly funny thing of like, I better look up the reviews on which mental <laughs> hospitals around here, because I don't want to go to some you know, one of these buildings that was built in the 1800s, where they used no. to chain people to the floor—like those where are real are go- things. They're
1: ghosts, yeah, especially like, in New Jersey, which there's, has that history. There, of it.
0: There's, ha- there's, there was one pretty close to my house called Greystone where half of it's abandoned, and I realized it was this dark thing. Because is that the one the documentary
1: was made about?
0: I don't even remember. There, were, there
1: was one about uh, Woody
0: uh, Guthrie it, was a patient there for a long time. Wow. Um, but G- Graystone's a pretty famous one, and about half of it's abandoned. And when you're a kid who grows up in New Jersey, there's a real tradition of when people start getting their driver's licenses, you get in the car and you go to the devil's tree, which is this haunted tree in Bernardsville. You go to the devil's tower up in Alpine. Kids in Jersey love ghost stuff. Clinton road and West Milford, the most haunted road in America. And you go and you explore the abandoned mental hospital. And I had this moment where I was like, I used to go here when I was in high school with my friends so we could scare ourselves And now I'm 41, and I have a feeling I might need to go there. What a weird and brutal full circle moment.
1: But you get to meet some teenagers.
0: Yeah, maybe these teen. I get to be the one scaring the teens now. But yeah, I had this. That day was really bad. And uh, And so, go ahead, finish your thought. I had this moment that I've never forgotten where I, I... I had this... When my son was born, I was not... I had this new stigma in my head because, you know, I fought through a lot of the stigmas. We all do. But all of a sudden I was like, I don't ever want my son to see what I look like at my worst. And he was uh, probably 15 months old when this happened. And I'm like breaking down and and crying. And it was actually really beautiful because I was I realized like, okay he's seeing me at my worst. Like my wife is on the phone with my parents right now. My wife's filling my parents in. My parents actually called them because my wife and I, as often happens, before I started breaking down, my wife was trying to figure out what's going on, and I caused a fight to try to dodge. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'll start getting upset about this and that, and blah blah blah, because she's like, "You're acting really manic, and what is going on?" You know. So then, I had gotten in touch with my parents, and they called my wife, and they were all trying to figure out what's what's the move here. And, uh, I was watching my son, even though I was in this state and I picked him up and I went out in the backyard and I was holding him. And I realized, oh, if I get admitted, you never know when you're going to get back out. Right? Like that whole fear that everybody has. And I go, oh, he, there's so many, there's a few songs he really likes that I sing him at bedtime Let me. And I was singing him these songs in our yard, holding them. And I just looked at my words, And I, I realized I had this moment where I realized he's just enjoying the songs. Like he doesn't care he's not judging me and uh he was only a year and change but it was this very very empowering realization of i have feared him seeing me like this i had this goal in my head of my son's never going to see me at my worst now he's seeing it he's not even two he's still in diapers he's seeing it and i always want to jump to how i'm a failure And instead I go, oh, thank God this one got taken out of my hands because I just learned this very important lesson of he just needs his dad. He needs his dad on good days. He needs his dad on bad days. Like he he wants to hear his songs. He's settling into my chest and relaxing because he recognizes these songs. That happens when I'm at my best. That happens when I'm literally like heaving to try to catch my breath because I can't. And I'm crying in our yard. He doesn't care. They're just his favorite songs. He just needs his dad at his worst. He needs his dad at his best. He needs his dad um, on pills. And I realized it was, it was actually extremely liberating. Had you gone realize. off
1: your medication?
0: I had. I, I, I had been on the same things for a number of... I forget the exact timeline of this. I, I actually think this incident was one where I... I, I, I'd been on Wellbutrin and Lamictal uh, for many, many years. And this was an incident where I said to my, my shrink, I was like, I have a feeling I may have built up a tolerance. Things are catching up with me. And she switched some things. And uh, I think it wound up being the right move. Um, but this incident was one where I realized between having a kid, between the financial pressure, between the insurance, between... I got caught up in some lovely comedy scene drama where people like to talk about each other, and my name was being dropped on some podcasts. And I was going, "I don't even know these people. Like, why are they messing with me? What did I do?" And starting the stretch where I couldn't even go and perform and prove, like, "No, I'm good at this. Like, I know I'm good at this." They were
1: criticizing
0: you. Yeah, people always have something to say. I don't, I, I don't want to name names or get into it, sure. but just it became.
1: I'd like to get involved in it, Chris so <laughs> For let's...
0: sure. but you know, it was a. Like, you know what it was? Was like there's a lot of comedy right now, and what's kind of become. The fad is a little bit more of like harsh roast, like everybody's too woke, everybody's too cancel culture, and those types of people. It makes sense why they don't like me. But what was actually really lovely about it was most of those people were not New Yorkers, and the New York comedy scene, there were a bunch of people who stepped up and was like, I know that person, I'm going to tell them. Like People who reached out and were like, Gether just does his own thing. And anytime he has, anytime he is able to help other people, he does it. Like whenever I've had success, I try to hire people who I know from the local scene and people are like back off. So it actually was nice in a way because some people rallied around me and it meant a lot, but you can imagine all these things happening during the pandemic when we're all just sitting home thinking too hard about everything. And you lost your health insurance. Yeah. Most importantly. And I just felt like a big failure and it was a very hard stretch of time. And I'm, I'm glad I got to the other side of it.
1: And so how did you figure out your health insurance? You just started paying out of pocket?
0: It was kind of a, no, it was sort of a miracle. It was an actual strange miracle. Um, I've had very few Writers Guild jobs in my life. I've had, I think, three. One was my TV show, which got canceled in 2018. And then I had a pilot deal years before that. And I had a screenplay deal that didn't go anywhere after, right after my TV show got canceled. And it was, I sold this screenplay idea that was such a good idea. And unfortunately, I was paid to write it. And my son had just been born. And the chaos of having a newborn, I went and rented an office and tried to find time to get out and work on it. And it was just, I just look back and I go, man. It's a great opportunity. I wish that I wasn't dealing with a two, three, four, five month old child in my house at the same time, but lost my insurance. And it was a week or two later, my lawyer reached out and was like, hey, I have to apologize. And I was like, what? And he's like, the studio from that thing. He's like, they paid you the first half. They were supposed to pay you when you sent in the final version of the script and they just didn't. And uh, he was like, can you basically date the script for today and they can start processing the new payment. So then the WGA, I had insurance through the WGA, and then by the time the WGA ran out, I had gotten back on the screenwriter or the screen actors guild. So it was this weird game of ping pong that I almost realized, like, oh, there was like thousands of dollars I was supposed to be paid, and I almost didn't get paid it. But in a way, it almost was a miracle because if I had been paid on the timeline I was supposed to, it wouldn't have covered that gap. And I'll tell you something else. It scared me so bad. I have not talked about this publicly too much, but I actually am starting in a few weeks. I just went and got myself a job. That's like an actual job with a boss because they're going to give me health insurance because I don't want my family's health insurance tied to the entertainment industry anymore. It's too scary and I can't do it. And sometimes I feel weak about that or like I'm giving up. Sometimes I feel like a very responsible dad, but I just can't ever be in a situation again where it's like, oh, you you actually do have health insurance because of an accounting error that a movie studio made, and now scramble to find some acting work, so that reactivates before that runs out. I was yeah. like, that is just not a healthy way. That is not peace-inducing. <clears throat> not by a long shot. And I couldn't do it anymore. So I'm getting a job. I'm going to give it a shot. See if, see, it, it has great appeal to me right now. I might show up there and go, oh, I've been a feral dog for 23 years. And now I can't just right. answer to a boss.
1: Is, is it uh, a creative job? Is it entertainment related? It's funny.
0: I, it, it's so funny to me that I didn't even consider telling you about this because it it's actually, there's a nonprofit organization that I've done some speaking stuff for. And I, I, Applied to grad school. I was going to go to grad school for social work. I was thinking about transitioning out of comedy. And they employ a lot of social workers. They're this they're, It's an organization called Wellness Together, and they do something very kind. They're a nonprofit group that basically, if a public school um, who works the states they exist in needs help getting mental health counselors for their students, they can coordinate it all for you. Basically come in and help mm-hmm. help school systems figure out how to spend their money that's dedicated towards mental health It's cool, so there's schools that didn't have a social worker and now they have a social worker because of this organization and I've done some speaking stuff for them because I'm really you know very as, as are you like passionate about this stuff and think a lot about how it went when I was young, so the idea that they're helping kids in high schools and middle schools i'm like that's when I needed it and people weren't noticing and they build the infrastructure for that. That's so cool. So I've always been down to help them. And I was telling them that I was going to go get this social work degree. And they were like, so confused. They were like, it's like three years in school and then you're going to abandon comedy. They're like, but you're already doing speaking work in this world that there's a lot of social workers that want to jump to do what You're like, you're kind of ahead of the curve. And I was like, yeah, it's just, I need insurance. And, It feels like a giving way to do it. And effectively, they were just like, if you're serious, we'll hire you. So I'm going to be doing a bunch of organizing for them, basically.
1: Are they hiring anybody? (laughs) (laughs) Because I actually applied to uh, um, be a therapist and then realized, uh, because I I wanted some financial security. And then Mm -hmm. I realized, I don't think I have the bandwidth to to do that yeah but you know my health insurance is fourteen hundred dollars a month
0: can do it for just me that's so wild yeah with all the other stuff that's too expensive in this world yeah that's have to spend that much it's like a second mortgage it's like the ability to have any breathing room or to be you know to be able to say like oh We've got a little bit of money left over, and maybe we can go take a vacation this year, which is an important thing to get step out of the grind of just no. Fourteen hundred dollars a month for most people in this country—that means you're never going to step away from the grind because yeah. you got to pay your rent or your mortgage. If you have a kid, you got to pay for daycare. You got to pay your car costs, and now you got to add fourteen hundred on top. It's just yeah. so. Exhausting.
1: Chris and I were talking before we started recording about the fact that ad sales uh, really across the whole podcast spectrum are, are down this year. Yeah. And it it has preoccupied my thoughts. Yeah. You know, I picture um, I, I get into this this headspace where I just see a tunnel with the light closing and that it's going to close before I'm at a certain age where I'll be able to get by. Yeah. And it scares the fuck out of me. And it challenges me spiritually to be able to try to bring it back into the present moment. And my brain goes to that place. Even if I think about it logically, I'm like, what am I going to do? Yeah. Where, Where do I, you know, and then the ego kicks in and I'm like, you know, if I'm, Bagging things at a at a grocery store. I don't think I could handle somebody looking at me with pity that used to watch me on TV. Yeah. And
0: it and it's Did uh, so you hear about the guy who played uh Elvin or Eldon on the Cosby show? Somebody put some pictures up, he was bagging groceries in New Jersey. At, I think, a Whole Foods or a Trader Joe's.
1: Was that the guy that was the son or the, the son-in-law? He,
0: he was like, uh, he dated one of the daughters. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And he was great on that show. And somebody put up some snarky picture of like, look who I just saw bagging groceries. so fucked. So fucked up. And what was cool, though was so many other new york actors and a whole bunch of casting directors there's this casting director jennifer houston who i've known for years who was like i bring this dude in on every audition he's the best like don't you dare question someone and then it turned out like i think his wife worked was like a manager of the store and it was a way for them to spend more time to with each other and this guy still books acting gigs but he also teaches a lot of classes and mm-hmm. sacrifices a lot of time trying to Help other people from like all different backgrounds get into the arts, and you're like, this is a person who has sacrificed. Also, let's not forget that show's no longer on the air because the figurehead of it is a rapist, so his residuals went away. Yeah, and you're gonna shit all over this dude. That judgment just is so harsh. So I, I he lived it and weathered the storm, and, and good for him, but I know exactly what you're talking mm-hmm. about. I was exactly what you're talking about. I was listening
1: to uh, an interview with, um, oh God, what the fuck is his name? He's on Succession. He plays uh, the the son, I think, Connor. Uh, oh,
0: who's also in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes. Alan Ruck, is Alan it? Alan Ruck, yeah, great yeah.
1: actor, and he was saying that after he was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, he had to start bartending. Because yeah. the, the job just weren't coming in. And I think so often people equate visibility with riches.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. People are getting – artists are getting ripped off all the time. And nobody wants to hear artists complain because it's a charmed life. And there's truth to it. But it's – I do sometimes think that the arts are sort of a canary in the coal mine because it's – and also, let's say, too, there are a lot of artists that are very out of touch and that say a lot of things that's shockingly disrespectful to how hardworking people have to live. Like, I've heard right. people complain about things where I'm like, wow, you are an out-of-touch human being. I have those reactions. But the way that infrastructure and corporations mess, mess with artists, I think, is oftentimes an early indicator of how working people in general in the country are about to get messed with. Yeah, um, I think that there's probably... Someone smarter than I that could research that and say, here's where here's when artists get squeezed. And here's how many months after that you start to see all sorts of unions getting messed with. I feel like artists very often take it on the chin and people, you know, people don't realize and nobody wants to hear complaint. I mean, I've heard I've seen TikTok videos of celebrities complaining about stuff. And I sit there and I go, man, this is part of why I'm very okay getting a day job. I don't want to be around these people. I have those reactions, too. Uh, but, on a basic level yeah yeah it's uh it's a life that has big ups and big downs and it's also a little bit of a barometer socially and it's i think it's very very exhausting, and I am exhausted by it
1: so other than being able to financially survive and not destroy your son what yeah. what else? <laughs>
0: I'll say in general I'm doing it's it's funny we're talking today because I'm in general for about the past year and a half once i that incident I had where I was holding my son, I didn't go to the hospital because my I was able to get my doctor on the phone short notice, and she sat on the phone with me. and this has happened a few times in my life where it was okay if if Barb is around and can get on the phone with me, we can get to work and if not, I should probably go to a hospital I've had that two distinct times where it was very real.
1: And um, was the fear that you were going to hurt yourself or you just felt so overwhelmed or both.
0: Both. Okay. Both. Of just feeling like feeling so overwhelmed that I was short circuiting in a way where the people around me are going, you're not making sense. And me going, no no no, I think I I think I am. And was that mania. And then it's uh, yeah, some combination of it, when I was younger it was almost always mania. And then as I got older it would be a little bit more of just some combination of mania, but more just things are on the fritz and the people who are close to me can see it. I know that's a vague description, but of just me not being able to stay still and not being able to breathe and feeling like I got to lay down all the time and having these paranoid thoughts of like, I think this person's mad at me and this and that and my wife going, they were just at our house, they're not mad at you. It was two days ago, and going, go, no, 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 it's really fucked up, I gotta apologize, maybe I should Should I drive to their house and apologize? That type of thing, and we're going, no, you're not driving to, what are you talking, they're not mad, like, you know, um, that was very bad. She got on the phone with me, we got back to work, adjusted some medications, and ever since then, I will say, I, I felt pretty good. I have not had what I would call, I, I've always referred to those as panic attacks. Um, which I think is sort of an amorphous term for a lot Mm -hmm. of people. And I haven't had one of those in about two years, coming up on two years, which is probably the longest in my adult life. And then in a very (laughs) serendipitous way, I'm here today. I can tell you while I got to LA on Monday, you and I are talking on a Wednesday and I have been in a really bad headspace all week that I can recognize is uh is it situational it's it's not only is it situational it is so dumb and i know it's dumb i'm a big fan of dome it's silly um hit me with it so i had this incident where and i know i'm behaving crazy right now but it, so you know like a lot of people i've, I've one thing i've realized is that when i Take care of myself physically the mental sometimes gets dragged in the right direction too not always mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of people that go i do crossfit instead of therapy and i go that's a dangerous good for you that's a dangerous dialogue to promote you yeah. know like that's not me but i do think in general when i'm carrying around a lot of weight i feel bad about myself or i feel lethargic more often or i get these spikes from you know sugar rushes and stuff and Physically, I feel a little beat up. And then mentally, it's hard to push past that. Like I, I see how they go hand in hand. And in 2006, before it became a big craze, I randomly signed up for Brazilian jiu-jitsu classes in New York. And this was a stretch where it, it, it has since gone on to become this thing that's very gigantic. gigantic. And also, if I'm being honest, a, a little meat heady in a lot of pockets of this culture in a way that it wasn't not as much so as when I gr- showed up but it's the one workout I've ever done that I can stick with. You go and you sweat a ton and you're wrestling people and you're just worried about them not choking you and that's all you're thinking about and then when it's done you go, I just sweated so much it looks like I just took a shower in my clothes. I'm soaking wet, Mm -hmm. like this is awesome and I'm not even thinking about it and I feel beat up hours later but in the moment I just get that, you know, runners call it the runner's high, right? Like Mm I, and it's like that's any other workout. I try to join a regular gym, I stop going. I tried to join a boxing gym, stopped going. You know, tried to get into kettlebells. Figured, oh, I can do that from home. People aren't fighting me. Stop doing it. So I signed up to do jujitsu again. F- tested out a few different gyms in New Jersey. I had to wait until my son was vaccinated because you know you're in very, you're sweating on people and breathing. Mm-hmm. I can't risk it. So he's finally vaccinated. Haven't done it in a few years. Sign up for this gym. Teacher's great. People seem nice. There are a couple things. One. There is a weird insecurity in jujitsu where people like to say. There's sometimes where like the, the I heard the phrase "no homo" getting tossed around a little bit. I'm like, guys, kids get scolded as third graders now. If you say, that. "What are we doing?" But I get, it's these macho dudes wrestling and they need everybody to know they're not gay. It's like guys, you dress up in spandex and you re- it's yeah, it's homoerotic. Like, you just, are in a position it. to buttfuck fuck <laughs> yeah. each other. Like it's 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 probably. <laughs> Like it's in some ways gay sex is less visually homoerotic right. than Brazilian jujitsu. <laughs> like it's it's actually probably more erotic to some people to Correct. see that. Like sure. Point being, there's an insecurity, it gets us. So I already was like, man, I've heard this a couple times, or right, I don't like this and then dude it's here's where it gets really dumb and I've been having it because this is where I know I'm nuts. <laughs> so I'm at this gym. The changing room is one door. Then about 10 feet away, there's a couple bathrooms and a shower. Grab my towel. I go in the shower. It's probably the sixth or seventh class I've taken at this gym. I turn off the shower. I towel off and I go, oh shit, I forgot to bring my bag in with me. My bag's in the changing room because this is just a one room shower with a door Mm. that locks. So every other time I've been here, I bring my clothes in and I get changed in there. I'm like shit. I don't have my clothes. I don't. These other clothes are soaked in sweat—my sweat and other people's sweat. I just took a shower. I don't want to put those back on. And I'm starting to feel some panic. I'm really embarrassed because there's still people out there wrestling each other. Like probably ten people are left in the gym. And I'm sitting here. I'm gone. Do I? I don't really even know anybody else's name yeah do I like open the door and ask the teacher no he's I'd watched him he was training with some I'm gonna I'm gonna be like hey can you help, can you go get my pants like no I can't do that I'll sit here I'm going okay somebody else Because can-
1: you don't want to walk out in a towel and
0: I'm like yeah, I'm like okay, I'm, and I'm going I'm going like there's probably somebody else waiting to use the shower and they might be mad at me. And as soon as I start getting, there, I thought somebody's mad at me. I'm like, there's probably a line of people wondering what's take taking <laughs> so long. They heard that I turned the water off. They're wondering what I'm doing. They think I'm weird. Go, okay, fuck it. I'll towel. I'll, it's 10 feet away. And I'll just get, walk from here to the shower. It'll be embarrassing. Here to the changing room. It'll be right. embarrassing, but I'll just fucking book it and I'll be bright red and I'll just get there. I'm halfway there. And the instructor, who was training with somebody, looks up and stops and goes, Whoa, man, you can't do that fucking shit, man. And I was like, I know, no, I know, I know, I know. And he's like, dude, you don't even have a shirt on. You can't be walking. And I, it's not, and I mean, I'm wrapped in a towel. It's not. Right. It's not and, but, but also, I'm like, I see this. I understood his point. Right. Because I was already having panic about it. I was oh already like, I don't want to walk across the fucking gym in a towel. It's not the fucking coolest thing. Like, I already do. was feeling it. Yeah. And the thing that was killing me was, I was like, if he had just ducked over to me and been like, hey man, what are you doing? I would have been like, right. I forgot my bag. I'm so fucking sorry. It will never happen. Again. Like, I was yes. already feeling everything. But then he yells it and everybody stops. Oh my God. And they're looking. And I'm the new guy in this gym. And I'm like, older than everybody. And already I'm like, I'm this old man wrestling these 28 year old kids. And now they're all looking at me, and I'm in a towel, and I'm being yelled at like I'm a kid. Oh, my God. And when I tell you that it, like, <laughs> like I know it's dumb that it threw me off as hard as it has, but for three days I've been thinking about it, and I've been panicking. That seems like a short amount of time for it to fuck with you. I texted the guy. I was like, hey, man, like... I've only been here a couple of weeks. Like maybe, can you, maybe I should just not come back. Like, should I, can I just get out of my contract? He's like, Hey, you signed a contract. It's for a year, dude. I was like, I can't pay for a year and not use it. Yeah. What do I, I can't, I don't, but I don't know how I'm going to go back there. I'm so embarrassed, but I also, it's one of those things that I know you've been through your version of where I'm like, intellectually, I'm aware everyone else who was there that day has almost definitely forgotten this and if they haven't they're just going to make a joke about it the next they're going to be like oh you remember your clothes and i'm going to go yeah right
1: and at some point you'll be laughing about
0: it that is the extent like i understand that almost everyone else has forgotten about it and in my head it's taken on this very outsized influence and i'm old enough and i've been through this enough times now to know it's not real but the emotion of how it's fucking with me is very real. And I'm talking about like driving here today where I think about it and I start like breathing a little too heavy and I'm like, should I pull over and just catch my fucking breath? (laughs) And that's giving me these like closest to a panic attack I've had in two years. Wow. Where I'm like, I definitely did something that I knew was like, this is not the coolest to walk through the gym and have just a towel. But you also, didn't
1: have any choice. I
0: would also argue the instructor probably overreacted a little you bit. You think, like, like, probably if he hears this someday, like he, his instinct was correct. But like, if he had just checked in with me, I would have. He would have realized I'm more aware than anyone that this is humiliating and shouldn't be happening. And instead, it was just like a record, like a like record scratch moment. You know, yeah, like one of those moments in a movie where like some city slicker walks into a country bar and everybody turns around <laughs> and the jukebox stops. It was that, like, everyone who had been fighting and wrestling each other stopped and stared at me. And I was like, we're good. I was like, we're on the same page, dude. We're good. And he just kept, he couldn't believe that I was doing it. He just, three or four times was like, you can't, what are you doing? You don't even, you can't be doing this. Come, I'm like, I, yes, I'm with you. Yes, yes. But I, like, because I also, to be full disclosure too, to be fair to him, In case by some miracle he is listening to mental health podcasts, which I don't know if, you know, I think that jujitsu masters aren't known for it. Um, There was, I was well aware, there was one woman taking the class who was still there. And I was like, I can't be fucking walking out there in a towel in front of this woman. It's not fucking cool. Even if it was all dudes, it would have been a less big. Like, I understand the logic of why he was upset completely. But it was just like a spotlight on me while I was like, no, 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 no. And he doesn't know me well enough to know... But you know what it is? It's that it's one of these things where you go, I have a hobby that takes stress away. (laughs) And now this hobby is adding the stress. And no, it was no one's intention, but I can't get over it. And there's something about that emotional logic of like, that's supposed to be the thing that helps me and it fucking hurt me. And like for me, feeling like the spotlight's on me and someone's yelling at me, or like I'm getting like. You know, we talked about it last, it was so many years ago. I am, I would be shocked if we didn't talk about how much bullying was at the core of a lot of my anger issues. And then my anger issues became trust issues and my trust issues made me feel very alone and all those things tied into whatever's going on chemically with me. So this feeling of like, everyone's looking at me and I'm getting yelled at. It's all true. It feels very real. You know, whereas I know most of the people <clears throat> there have are, m- many of them probably didn't even clock it or were just like oh, that's fucking fun like probably right away we're like yeah forgot his bag that's fucking fun he's getting alright and forgot about it instantly one guy came in though while I was getting dressed he's like you dressed yet man and I was like here we go here we go and I'm telling you for three days I've been on the verge of a fucking panic attack about it and I hate that I hate that because that's uh, many of your listeners know and as you know it's like like so easy to convince yourself. And it's like it feels it's like never it, gonna have I'm past yes. it. It's been two years. I'm not gonna have those anymore. And I can feel it creeping in. And I can feel myself going, Should I text that instructor again? And tell and it's like, no, it's I'm I've been through it enough times to know like that's when it's crazy. When you right. start texting a random jujitsu teacher multiple <laughs> times about a thing where he's like You know, and you have a contract. I might be able to get you a buyout. Let me know what you want to do. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe I'll keep coming and see if I can get my head back in the game. And then I'm like, oh, should I explain to him what that means? Should I be telling him I have anxiety? Like, no, don't start telling the jujitsu guy your anxiety. Like, these texts are crazy. (laughs) And I can feel that they're... And I hate that word. I know we shouldn't toss it around, but it's. I'm applying it to my own behavior where I'm like, this is the type of stuff I do that I was saying before when my wife is going... What's going on? This doesn't feel real. Where I feel this like need, where I'm like, I better be texting this instructor, and it's like just digging a hole. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's just like, oh, this dude might not want to come here anymore. I can get him the buyout or not. I also yeah. told never mind, the rest of it, who cares? But it's like, I don't think... Anybody cares but me, and I'm caring way too much, and it's it's a great while way of, I'm here, right a gr- now.
1: A great way of putting it. I think one of the biggest struggles for many of us in our lives is finding peace knowing other people don't think well of us.
0: Yeah, yeah. And on our best days, we don't care. And then it can be a pretty instant cratering at my worst which ties in again other comedians clowning on me on their podcasts i hate to admit how much it messed with my head but it felt like oh my peers don't like me and in my head it goes every comedian i've ever met thinks this i know that's not true i've been around for 23 years i have friends i have people who I have helped along the way. I have people who I've done shows with and we are cut from extremely different cloths where I understand we have a fundamental level of respect for each other. It's one of these things where like, you do it enough and you start to do shows with people. I remember doing a show, some crowd work show in Toronto on the road and another New York guy was there and he's, he's from a totally different corner of the scene and he's much more macho and tough than me and he saw me do it. He's like, Gethard, I couldn't believe when I saw your name on the crowd work thing cuz so i was like he's like mr emo storyteller man but you just rocked it i was like just like i'm sure you could rock an emo story if put on a position to do like you mm-hmm. we all know how to do what we're doing and there's that basic respect i know it all exists but in the moments when these things happen it's just like uh it's like a funhouse mirror you know mm-hmm. it's like something is causing the reflection but the reflection's not accurate and it's hard for me to remind myself of that when I'm sitting here panicking. It's really hard still to this day. It sounds it. Yeah. Yeah. But in general, things have been good for years. In general, things have been good for years. And I've had I've had a number of, not even like um, I was telling you beforehand off mic, part of why we were talking about the advertising was with my podcast. I got my new contract offer and I'm taking a pay cut. And it stinks. But I remember telling my shrink about it. And she was like, okay. She's like, you sound like you're handling it well. And I'm like, yeah, I'm coming up with a game plan. Thinking long-term about the future. This hit is one that's not great. I have to take a deep breath. I also think it is sort of the state of the industry right now. And I think maybe there's ways for me to use this as an opportunity to free myself up in ways or experiment with the show in ways or whatever. And she was like, this sounds like a, an extraordinarily healthy reaction to a pretty substantial cut in your pay as the father of a four-year-old. I'm like, I'm proud of that. I'm proud to hear you say that. Yeah. Maybe I'm just in shock still, but I think it's real. I think I'm just going, okay, money's money. Money's necessary, but I've been smart and when I have made money, I never really changed my lifestyle. So we'll be okay. And here's how I can maybe think about how to think about this. Like this stinks right now, but what's happening in a year or five years or 10 years? And maybe there's some opportunity here to start defining those things. She's like, that's such a smart way to think of it. I'm proud of you. That's mostly where I'm at, where I'm like, cool, I'm on top of everything. And then I walk eight feet in a fucking towel, and the whole house of cards comes down, man.
1: <laughs> uh, dude, we have a word the word on the show that we use—is is, uh, awfulsome, is it's awesome
0: and awful yeah. at the same time, and so much yeah, yeah. of life is awfulsome. It really is like the straw that—it's so. It, I find it very annoying how it's not. Like, oh, here's a big pay cut for you to think about. That's going to affect your family. Okay. That I can handle now. That's, I'm not going to let me, that, you know what it is too? It's like, I'm just realizing now, the insurance messed me up, but I was okay. This, I'm not going to let it mess me up. I mean, I faith that I'll be okay. I'll start game planning now. Great. That's growth. That's progress, right? I'm one of those people where there's actually people in my life that I think would say, If there's real bad stuff happening, I'm often the person they call. I can handle pressure. I've been driving an ambulance. I volunteered to drive an ambulance in my town now. Part of it is my wife was like, you're a good driver and like, you're good under pressure. When the pressure's real, I'm actually pretty reliable. But what I've realized about that is because I spent so much time reacting as if things are emergencies when they're not emergencies. Right. That it almost is like when there's a real situation going down, I'm extraordinarily comfortable in that headspace. Yeah. Most people aren't. Most people haven't lived there as much as I have because they can just eat breakfast without convincing themselves that the sky is falling. I, th- I, th- I, I,
1: I very much relate to that. And I, th- I think there's almost a sick comfort in suddenly the outer world matches our inner world
0: i remember when the pandemic hit i had some sick thoughts of like welcome to my reality buddy <laughs> <I did laughs> like the same thing living like this for years where i'm scared of people and scared every time i'm on the subway and worried about interacting with people like it's not you know uh germophobia with me necessarily or or you know uh always worried about being sick but this idea of like always having our guard up i'm like
1: and, th- and that things are going to break down yeah. and it's going to be a mile long food and water line yeah. and I'm going to
0: pass out. And nobody's looking out for you, so you got to look out for yourself. All those things yeah. we were feeling, I had felt those when none of it was real. So I was like, oh, wow, the world matches my brain. This is yeah, this is uh, pretty messed up for everybody else, but kind of weirdly uh, has a sense of relaxation for me. mm mm-hmm. It's
1: strange sure yeah i knew it was gonna go mad max yeah
0: i was right yeah yeah welcome everyone <laughs> welcome and now you can trust those of us who have been historically messed up because it turns out we're in our suite these muscles are strong right. you all are realizing you're like little baby lambs that need to develop into this i'm used to this you need sure. me to wipe down some groceries with a clorox wipe absolutely yeah i've been
1: setting up a perimeter in my neighborhood in my mind since uh, 1996
0: i've I've been sanitizing my brain on a regular basis and while we're all and i while we've been sitting next to each other in the car and you've had no idea i've been on a subway going through all sorts of disaster Mm -hmm. scenarios nobody else knew and now here we are you can trust me here's
1: how it's gonna go everybody I mean, I've I've thought about where is the best the best place on my roof to defend my home from marauders.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. You know, what kind of gun? Mm-hmm. No, I don't even have a gun permit. I, I yeah. think I've fired a gun twice. I'm not.
0: But. I'm never going to own a gun, but I definitely have some weapons hidden in my house. Um, which I think is justified because I'm like, Yeah, I have a kid now. If somebody breaks in, I got to be ready to fight but it's also crazy that I have a pipe hidden in my closet. So if someone breaks in and they try to, I'm like, I'll put it next to this safe that has our passports in it. And then they'll tell me to open the safe and I'll lean down and I'll be able to get the pipe and kill them. Sure. As this long as a, you have your glasses on. I know that I had a bit all about that. About <laughs> the second glass, when the apocalypse comes, everyone with glasses were dead, like get LASIK now. Cause we're dead, dead when our glasses go. Um, but yeah, I'm like, I don't really need to be planning how I'm going to murder someone with a pipe when they, when a home invasion happens, that's, that's wild to sit and think about that as much. And mm-hmm. the pipe is placed. Like I took action. It's actionable. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> it's the thing I did. This is me when I'm saying like, I've been feeling healthy for years. Yeah. I still got pipes. I got weapons hidden all over my house, but I'm feeling relatively okay. Oh, that's so fantastic pretty dumb well buddy thank you for
1: for coming by what a and joy it's, to see you yeah it's really nice to reconnect yeah. you're such a kindred spirit and yeah it uh, feels
0: good to talk and uh what
1: what can we promote for you your podcast is called beautiful anonymous do you know I, when
0: this is coming out
1: um my guess will be uh what is what are what are we in right now middle of April? Yeah. Um my guess would be well, well I can time it for Well when, I have a, uh, when it would, would be, be too good. soon.
0: I have a. am doing a beautiful anonymous fan festival in when? May, May 4th through 7th. So that's a little soon, but that's at the okay. Bell House in Brooklyn, first weekend of May. And if this is if that's already come and gone by the time people hear this, I would just say beautiful anonymous is my pride and joy. And if you were to listen and subscribe, I just have a feeling a lot of our listeners would like each other's stuff. Yes. I have a feeling that there's a, a real shared compassion to these things. Yes. And, I think, and I, I think if very people much. checked that one out, I'd be very grateful and I've always got 10 things going on, but that's the one that I think is very much worth mentioning right now. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, Chris Geth on Instagram, Chris Gethard on Twitter. And, um, you know, there's links at all those places to books I've written and, and, I just put out that new one, Lonely Dad Conversations I mentioned. I should probably plug that too. But uh, yeah, those are the places. ChrisGeth.com for all of it.
1: And uh, plug your New Jersey podcast.
0: Oh, yeah. I have a podcast called New Jersey is the World. That's just me and some friends I grew up with talking about different reasons we love New Jersey. And it's it's a very small, focused thing that's full of so much joy. And uh, 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 there was a... There was a podcast, uh, a documentary, rather, called Class Action Park, where I talked about this messed up water park in New Jersey, and the podcast is almost sort of a podcast version of that, of just like a bunch of people messing around, laughing about how ridiculous our home state is, and I don't think you need to even uh, care about New Jersey to to enjoy it, so it's out there, and I'm really proud of it. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much. What a sweet human being. The
1: world, the world needs more Chris Gethards. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is from the I shouldn't feel this way survey. And this is filled out by a, a woman who calls herself peaceful dissociation. Did I pronounce that right? Dissociation. Uh, how would you like people to think of you? Kind, helpful, reliable, somewhat somewhat perfect, which is kind of fucked up. Um, I, but I appreciate you being honest about that. How does it, could that sound more like I'm from Chicago? I appreciate you being honest about that. You fucking jag off. Uh, how does it feel writing that? Guilty because I know I will never be perfect. Ashamed because I am far away from perfect disappointed in myself because I'm nowhere near good right now how would you use a time machine sometimes I'm embarrassed that I that that's a question in there but I do genuinely I don't know where else to put it and I am genuinely I will ask people like if I'm out and about and we're just talking about deep stuff sometimes I'll ask them you know if you, if you had five trips on a time machine how would you how would you use it but I, don't, I only give you guys one because you haven't earned the other four. Uh, I'd wake my dad up from death. Tell him that I'm sorry and I want to make him proud because he was the only person who understood me fully. No. Oh. Uh, I'm supposed to feel happy about my current partner, but I don't. I feel so much pressure to be perfect, to have a nicer, slimmer body, to be free of debts. Which, by the way, I'm trying to be. Not to blame him, but I wanted to make the house look nicer and feels more homey, so I maxed out my credit cards to buy nice things for the house. The house that he also lives in. I feel guilty of my supposed-to-be-good intentions. I hate it. I fucking hate it. How does it make you feel writing your real feelings out? It felt good, but still not good enough because I haven't really had the chance to scream at the top of my lungs. Also guilty. Because I shouldn't feel this way, right? Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? Sometimes. I feel like it's not fair for my partner. But who the fuck knows what's fair and what's not? Heck, I feel like life isn't fair for me right now. I always think of what my friend Jesse says, which is don't pray. Don't pray for justice. Pray for mercy. Uh, would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better about yourself? Yes. Well, I can tell you lots of people feel the way you do and you are you are not alone with that thank you for sharing that this is from the same survey filled out by a uh woman who calls herself computer blue and how would you like people to think of you as a protector how does it feel writing that confusion actually how would you use a time machine to go back in time and fool around with more people when i had the chance That Catholic guilt made my 20s way more vanilla than they should have been. Yeah, but think about the fact that you're going to be using that to have sex with people in their 20s. You won't get that until you're in your 30s and 40s and you realize how tedious the conversations were after sex, hanging out with the person you just had sex with. Who knows? Maybe, maybe there were riveting conversationalists uh, when I was in my twenties. I, I don't think had sex with any of them. Then again, I probably wasn't interested, and just wanted to to leave. I like how that took a bad turn. I toss an entire generation under the bus. Turns out, I'm the asshole. Continuing. I'm supposed to feel bad about no longer talking to a long-term friend because she crossed a line and I recognize that she has always been toxic, but I don't. I feel relieved. I don't think you should feel bad. I think you should feel proud of yourself that you set a boundary. I mean, yeah, you can feel sad that a relationship has died, but the ultimate takeaway for me is that you took care of yourself and you made a healthy choice. Uh, Life is too fucking short to let toxic people drain us how does it make you feel writing your real feelings out good to be honest but a part of me knows she's suffering which i don't relish at all but another part of me says that she is her own responsibility and it's been a long time coming and what a great example of the complexity of toxic people relationships boundaries decisions do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? No, but I was raised to always put everyone else's feelings before my own. It's foreign to put myself first in such a major way. Well, you have clearly done a lot of work on yourself because to do that when you have always been a people pleaser, uh, I don't. You don't say in this in this uh, survey what changed, but uh, high fucking five is as, as high as my arm will stretch for. Uh, you making the healthy choice even though the that part of your brain was saying well you shouldn't be feeling this you shouldn't be feeling that i still feel sad that i cut contact with my mom but i know it's the right decision is paul talking about his mom again yes he is oh god this is from the love survey and this is filled out by afraid of everything And they write, I love seeing someone with a large beard wearing a mask. That's a great one. I love when I'm cooking pasta and the boiling water is making the noodles swirl around the pot like a spaghetti whirlpool. Uh, I love putting on clothes that fit me perfectly. How it feels like every inch of me being hugged close by a hoodie or a pair of jeans. I love, and this love is in caps, When I'm walking through a neighborhood and I find a cat outside and the cat is friendly enough to approach me and I spend the next five to 20 minutes just petting the cat and enjoying its meowing and or purring. That's a great one. Is it interesting? I don't know about you, but when I'm petting an animal and just, just fucking getting that awesome back and forth love vibe, I never question my life. Or where I'm at in that moment. It's like everything just fades away. This is from the I Shouldn't Feel This Way survey. And this is filled out by uh, a guy who calls himself un- unhappy go-getter. And uh, how would you like people to think of you for being a light for others during a dark time? How does it feel writing that? That I take on everyone's, el- everyone else's burdens and never ask for help with my own. Yeah, the cur- The curse of the helper. How would you use a time machine? I'd like to go to uh, 2005 and tell myself that it's going to be a shitty year, but like all things, it will pass, and I'll be stronger for it. I'm supposed to feel happy about where I am in life, but I don't. I just feel numb. How does it make you feel writing your real feelings out? Still numb, but seeing it in writing adds weight to it. Isn't that amazing? Just the act of having to form a sentence, where we're, whether we're sharing with somebody or writing it down, it it. It it, it does something. Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? Yes. I'm successful in my career. I've been in therapy for decades and have a loving relationship with my partner, but I'm emotionally flat. Uh, would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better about yourself? Success doesn't bring happiness. I'm not sure how that is an answer to this Um But I I just want to let you know that the numb thing, a lot of people feel that way, and you are not alone with that. Um, I was on the phone with somebody yesterday, and and he said, do you, you," and this is a guy, like, we have heart-to-heart talks. We share everything with each other. And he said, "Do do you struggle with being numb? And I said yes, I do. Crying is difficult for me, and I think it's probably the meds that I take, um, and I don't like that. Uh, I don't know if the, the the guy whose survey I just read if you're taking meds um, or not, but I, it could be something that might be med related, either um, by taking them or not taking them, or you know, I've, pe- I've had people. Send me emails saying, you know, do an amino acid test and try this and that. There's a lot of things that, that you could investigate. Here's the thing that blows. You don't feel like doing any of it when you're feeling numb. That's the part that that blows. I'm sending you sending you a hug, buddy. This is an awful some moment filled out by the runty twin and she writes when I was little I had a special bond with my dad and we loved each other very much. My mother died when I was five and when I needed love and connection from my dad the most he turned into a shell of a person. I realize now that he died at the same time she did just not physically. It's taken me years of therapy and support to learn to accept my dad as he is and not yearn for what I want and therefore be hurt by unmet expectations. As an adult, my dad has sort of of come back to himself and our relationship, while not great or even good sometimes, is the best that it has ever been. After one of my stints in the behavioral unit for suicidal ideation, he picked me up. I was crying because I was having so many disparate emotions about everything. He asked why I was crying, and I told him the many reasons. The last one I listed was that I felt so ashamed for my actions that I had to go back to the behavioral unit. But then I went on to say that while I was there... We watched the TED Talk with Brene Brown where she talks about shame and guilt. She talked about how shame isn't a useful emotion and doesn't lead to growth very well. In fact, it hinders it. However, guilt is a feeling that is useful when you have actually done something wrong because then you can learn from that situation and try to not do the same thing again. He was quiet as he processed everything that I was telling him. And then his face lit up with understanding, oh, he said, You shouldn't feel ashamed that you went to the behavioral unit. You should feel guilty. I stared at him for a moment and the tears stopped because I was so surprised by his response. Then I started belly laughing, which led to a different kind of tears and continued until he couldn't help but join in. And in case this isn't clear for everyone, you should not ever feel shame or guilt for seeking help. LOL. My God, that is a truly awful some moment thank you for that this is from the shame and secret survey and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself kara kara or kara i'm not sure how it's uh, it's pronounced uh, i'll get somebody on that case right away and get back to you she identifies as straight she's in her 40s she says that she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment ever been the victim of sexual abuse some stuff happened but i don't know if it counts uh, she doesn't elaborate She says that she has been emotionally abused. I grew up in an environment that was always in flux, not a lot of stability. My feelings weren't really validated if I ever had a problem or questioned something because there were more important things for my mother mother to worry about, like bills, problems in her marriage or relationships, etc. I was also the oldest child and she often reminded me I had to be the good example for my younger sisters. I think it fed into having a low opinion of myself and thinking I didn't matter or that my thoughts were invalid. Any positive experiences with them? My mother was very alone as a wife and mother. Her partners didn't support her in the ways she needed, so if she took out those So if she took out those frustrations on me, I felt conflicted about blaming her because I only have one mother and it wasn't all her fault. But still, she was never consistent with the kind of parent she was. It really depended how well her relationships with the men in her life were going, bad or good, mostly up in the air, not in a good way. I never knew who she was month to month. If I ever challenged her, she had a way of turning it back on something I did, so I just stopped defending myself. Later, just didn't speak up at all. Darkest thoughts. I have issues trusting people, mostly men, because I didn't have a constant one supporting me growing up, always at a distance, and the time together with my dad was fraught like a lot of divorced families go. My mother has been married four times. My dad never remarried. Marriage is strange to me. So much fantasy and expectation tied to it, but in no way mirrored my life experience, my family in general. I don't want to hate men, but I often fantasize about controlling them, having privileges they have. And I don't because I'm not a man. Anything to cut them down or make them feel small and unimportant in the ways I saw men in my life hurt my mother and sisters and me. I resent them for how easy some things come for them on the basis of sex and resent larger society and any women complicit to sexism in all its forms. I have urges to scream and strangle any woman who enables a bad man. Like who could they when how could they when they know better? I hate how ugly these thoughts are. I feel gross after I think them, but over the last six years they keep getting worse. I don't know where I go from here. Well, I wonder if it's related, uh, to, um, not processing the, the, the stuff that you had to bury, you know, you, you know, where you say I later, I just didn't speak up at all. You know, when we put the plug in that stuff, it doesn't leave, it stays in our body. Um, so I don't know if, if you've exhausted, uh, talk therapy, you might try somatic experiencing, which is a nonverbal way of releasing trauma from the body. I don't know. I cooked chicken on basic cable and acted like a jackass. So I'm just thinking out loud. Darkest secrets. I will probably never recover from disordered eating because having one feels and looks better than being at a normal weight. I've never not felt that way. There's no easy answer as to why I don't know why. As to why, because I don't know why. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I want to penetrate my boyfriend with a strap on because he's never had it done to him, yet he always wants it from me. I also want to be polyamorous, but because I did it before and loved it, he doesn't even want to go there because he's intimidated by my past, having more partners than he does. He wants a fantasy with me and the other women, but won't permit me the same fantasy in reverse. How can he call our relationship equal when he thinks and says that shit? I used to be with a partner who let me do these things and vice versa. It's super disappointing he won't be more open-minded. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my boyfriend, why can't you let me be who I want to be as a sexual being? What are you afraid of? My mother I know you tried your best but you still won't recognize how much you fucked up and continue to fuck up your relationship with your daughters you choose the men in your life over us more than once and I'll never forgive you for that because I know you better that is a, a very potent feeling to keep trapped down and I don't know what would be the best route to help you process that and let it out in a in a healthy supportive environment but i think that i think that might be on the top of the list of, of things to look into um getting help for uh, and, and and that's not to say that there's something wrong uh with you it's just you deserve to feel peace and I think that would be a good thing to investigate for you. What, if anything, do you wish for? Freedom from self-hate, freedom to live life on my terms, even if those terms aren't understood or accepted by the world. Have you shared these things with others? Yes and no. It's complicated why I haven't. When I did, I was always met with denial or resistance, which wasn't surprising. I feel okay that now I know I've tried, but it still hurts. That's got to be painful being in a relationship with people who won't acknowledge reality. I, 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 I really try to minimize or avoid contact with people I don't have an overlapping reality with. You know, there are some people in my life that, you know, our realities—they may live in one political reality and I live in another—and I can have a relationship with them to a certain point as long as uh the the butting of realities don't don't come into it. And then there are people where I'm just like that, that is not healthy. No judgment on them as a person, their value as a human being, but uh not healthy not a healthy choice. How do you feel after writing these things down? Uh uncomfortable, but that's accurate. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences, I get you. You still matter even if the world brands you wrong or problematic. That was a great survey. Thank you for sharing that. I imagine there are a lot of people who have some version of those feelings that you, that you feel. I can tell you a lot of the people in the support group that I go to grew up with parents who always chose you know, a partner they've been going out with one month Over the needs of the kid and boy does that do a fucking number on him this is a a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself wrong kind of love I think we've done surveys of hers before and she writes when my ex-man we were together for 15 years and it all recently ended in a lot of pain he's a sex addict in recovery when he and I share a moment where we all where all the work we did in our relationship All the love that went into us being together for 15 years and all the recovery we are both making amalgamates into an experience of love, acceptance, and companionship for both of us. When we broke up, some people told each of us, forget him. He was abusive to you. You got to cut her out of your life. She's dominating your manliness and other crap that spoke of their own insecurities. And we are saying a hearty fuck you to everyone who felt the need to impose their own own small box thinking onto us. We want to reap the benefits of the love and affection we have for each other, even if the damage inflicted means we can't be a romantic couple anymore. We have adopted the motto of reality at all costs for ourselves and want to treat each other with honor and honesty and everyone else can just fuck off. Um, and recently I was walking our now co-parented dogs around my block as he was cycling by on his way to work. I was in a depressive mood and hadn't seen my ex in a few days. He waved at me happily. I just looked. Then he texted me, You look troubled. Hug emoji. Have a nice morning with the kids. It meant so much to be seen and understood and receive this small kindness in my lonely place. I'm happy for what we have now. I cannot tell you how beautiful it is to to read something like this. A complex relationship that you can still be friends, that, I mean, I think you are both probably clearly each owning your part in the dissolution of your relationship or no, maybe it's hit just him, but the fact that you've forgiven him and you're, and you're um, that the love just didn't evaporate. So beautiful. That one really moved me. Thank you for that. This is from the shame and Secrets survey, and this is filled out by a guy who calls himself uh, just, uh, just. there's just a hyphen there. So I don't know if you want to be known as dash. You want to be known as hyphen. Do you want to be known as more to come? He identifies as straight. And he only partially filled this survey out. Um, He's in his 20s, says that he was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Never been sexually abused. He's been physically and emotionally abused. My father was emotionally abusive my entire life to both my mother and I. As we got older and he began drinking more, he became increasingly violent. He made me fear for my life on occasion and would laugh at me for being afraid of things, like holding me at gunpoint. Oh my God. I had to threaten to beat him with a baseball bat when he was attacking my mother. I'd listened to her being strangled through the wall and knew I needed to do something, but was so afraid and feel so horrible that I froze and didn't do anything. My mom and I left when when I was going to stab him. He insists that these things never happened and that we are lying. I am not sure if he's unwell mentally or just a genuinely sadistic person at this point in time. I can't care enough. I used to hate him, but now I'm past it or have had enough time to just cover it up. Any positive experiences with the abuser? I don't remember my childhood really. There were occasions when he was tolerable. But I did love him as a young child and quickly learned that he didn't or couldn't love back like a normal person. He did not tell me he loved me until after we left. Darkest thoughts. I think about hurting people, not random people or mass murder or anything like that. But I struggle with the desire to hurt people when they cross me in actuality or just my perception i think about smashing someone's head into the counter over and over when they give me attitude at a store even if it's minor when i feel disrespected i want to beat people until they are afraid of me i know this is wrong and not healthy i'm a fairly kind person and i feel like people who know me would be appalled by how much i want to just hurt people who are even slightly unkind to me i feel like being patient And kind, as best I can, gives people the idea I am meek and can be walked on or disrespected. I try to put good out into the world, and I feel such anger and frustration when people shit on me for reasons that are beyond me. I have hurt people in the past, but it doesn't make me feel good, and I'm worried I could kill someone on accident how I am physically now. Every day, I feel a bit more brittle, and when I snap, I feel like I will ruin my entire life to brutalize someone who has just had a bad day and felt like passing a bit onto me. Uh, Darkest Secrets. I lie frequently because I want my life to be different than it is. Nothing outrageous, but I am deeply unfulfilled as as a person and had led a more boring life than people around me tend to believe. I lean into this because I like to be more than I am. Thank you for for sharing that, and I don't know if you've ever had uh, any kind of treatment for PTSD, but um, I would think uh, that that would help with the the rage. Thank you for for sharing that. Sending you uh, sending you some love, man. Fuck, dad holding you at gunpoint and mocking your reaction. Fuck. This is from the love survey filled out by um, a person who calls himself barely holding it together. I love the feeling of euphoria after a really intense hot yoga session or a difficult spin class. It is my healthiest addiction. But I also love pulling the ice cold bottle of vodka out of the freezer and making my first drink of the evening. The the I love the look of adoration in my dog's eyes, and oh, how I wish I could find that look from a man. My children used to look at me that way when they were infants and toddlers, but now that they are certainly teenagers and a know-it-all 24-year-old, I haven't seen that look from them in years. It has to be hard when you just see your, your kids, as the as the uh, therapist called it, individuating and needing the parent less and especially god that that part where you just think everything your parent says is wrong and stupid and that has to be hard that has to be really hard and i don't think people ever think about that when they think about having kids they think about all the you know the fun of watching a toddler learn how to walk and i never think about a 14 year old screaming at you at the mall i hate you You're the worst person in the world. This is from a shame and uh, secrets. This is a shame and secrets. Sorry, I'm new to the podcast. Filled up by a woman who calls herself in your head zombie. And she identifies as bisexual. She's in her 20s. She says that she was raised in a totally chaotic environment. She was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. My dad abused me until I was nine. I don't know when it started. When I was 13, I was groomed by my coach. He was 15 years older than me. He was extremely abusive, and I stayed in the relationship with him for three and a half years. He nearly killed me multiple times. I struggle daily. I find it hard to keep any sort of relationship. Uh, I've been accused of never showing any vulnerability or letting even my best friend know anything about me. And not to be a dick, and this this is me, you know, how, how do I say this? Um, he was extremely abusive, and I stayed in the relationship for him. You were not having a relationship with him. You did not have the power of choice because you were a child. It, I, I would phrase it as he abused me for three and a half years. That That's just my personal choice because I think when you say I stayed in the relationship with him— you know you're you're putting res- responsibility on yourself as if you knew the impact of what was happening to you he groomed you anyway uh continuing uh i wish i could create connections i wish i could have sex i find it incredibly painful and in both abuse situations sex was mostly used as punishment I wish I could understand how sex feels good. I'm so alone. I'm mad at the people who saw and didn't do anything. I don't feel human, just a robot walking aimlessly. Oh my God, how could you not? How could you not? There wasn't... You weren't safe at home and you weren't safe at school. I mean, that's... A lot A lot of kids may have had one or the other, you know, where at least they had a reprieve. Fuck Uh, She's been physically abused and emotionally abused. My dad beat me very badly. I still have scars on my back from his belt. My coach also physically abused me, beat me, strangled me, knocked me unconscious. They were both emotionally abusive. I constantly feel I'm disgusting, a horrible person, and a whore. I just want to be good and clean. Oh, man. My heart goes out to you. Whatever is the uh, the the most gigantic hug, I think every listener my and me uh, are sending it your way. What we're doing today. overnight's a little expensive. We're a little uh, we're a little strapped for cash, so I hope you understand that. Uh, any positive experiences? with abusers. Yes, I thought I loved my coach. He told me he loved me and I felt close to him. I loved how he would hold and comfort me even after all the bad. One of the hardest memories of my dad is when I would compete. When I won, he gave me the biggest, most real hug. After he stopped, we never really touched each other besides an occasional fist pump every once in a while. So this hug meant the world to me. I felt like he loved me. He was proud of me. I'm sad. I don't think I'll ever get a hug like that again. And it's so fucked up that it only came when you won. I mean, you want to fuck your kid up, withhold love, and give it out only for victories. Darkest thoughts. Driving my car off a cliff into a semi or into a wall. I sometimes get so angry I want to beat the shit out of someone. I wish I could die all the time. I worry I am some kind of sociopath with no emotion. I am so numb. Then I'll put a Christmas sweater on my cat and cry for three hours because he hated it and I'm worried I hurt him. He's traumatized and will hate me forever. You are not a sociopath. Sociopaths do not do that. Sometimes I miss my coach. I miss him telling me exactly what to do, say, where, eat, etc. Having the, quote, freedom, unquote, to make all these decisions myself is sometimes so overwhelming. Do I seriously have to figure out three meals a day for myself every day for the rest of my life? Daunting. Darkest secrets. The first time I tried to kill myself, I was six years old. I was sitting on a beach after running away. It was pitch black and the dark water was more inviting than the thought of going home. I remember thinking, I want to go into that water and never come out. Every time I go into water, I have a strong urge to drown myself. Sometimes I pushed my coach's buttons on purpose. I could feel the tension rising between us. I knew what was coming. I did it anyway. I just wanted him to hold me, comfort me, tell me. He forgave me even if it meant being beaten and raped. I'm fucking insane. Don't tell me it wasn't my fault because I definitely poked the bear. Yeah, but the bear groomed you. The bear drew you into its metaphorical cage. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I fantasize about rough sex, BDSM. I feel disgusting and shamed that I enjoy what my abusers did to me. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Dad, could you just say you're sorry? I know my dad was very traumatized. I know he stopped. I know he tried to be better, but he'll never acknowledge it. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I could be loved. Have you shared these things with others? Nope. Nope. How do you feel after writing these things down? Weird. They've been circling my brain, but never written out. That is one of the heaviest, most moving surveys I have ever read. And I hope, hope, hope you find someone safe to open up to, whether it's a therapist or a support group or friend that you trust because you are worthy of love and feeling seen and having your experiences validated and I am sorry that all of that stuff happened to you sending you some love and speaking of loves uh, this is our last survey and this was filled up by Clementine And she writes, I love how my boyfriend always reaches for me in his sleep, even though I can't sleep well with anyone touching me. Three years together, and his subconscious desire to hold me still melts my heart as often as it annoys me. I love it when I can make my kid laugh, her biggest, wildest, belly-shaking laugh. I love it when our, quote, mean, unquote, cat, who can sometimes act aggressive, turns soft and wants cuddles and attention. I always reward him for gentle behavior. I love watching animals do weird human adjacent things like picket trash or carry a whole pizza slice in their mouth. I love the sound of the ocean and looking into tide pools and all the microcosmic communities thriving within. I love it when a friend or family member asks me for comfort or advice. It makes me feel so valued and useful. Most of all, I love to see the people in my life happy achieving their goals, and working hard on improving their lives. Joy and pride can be so contagious. Last but not least, I love the Mental Illness Happy Hour. It's the only podcast I need. I put it on and go to the gym and get lost in my mind, never worried about how stupid I look on the elliptical or weight machines because I'm enraptured with the stories of triumph and perseverance and all the relatable discoveries of mental health. Thank you for that i love i never get tired of reading people saying that the they get something out of the podcast it uh, means a lot to me um man the people that filled the 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 surveys out this week um thank you for the the stuff that you excavated um i just really appreciate it's such a big part of this podcast and you just taking the time and making the effort to go to the website and do that uh it means a lot to me and anybody that's out there that is feeling stuck or alone i gotta say you're not alone say it all the time and i mean it every single fucking time you are not alone your tribe is out there it's just a matter of finding them and uh thanks for listening.
0: Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know weird bizarrely beautifully fucked up. up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.